0: He used to just put a, uh, a wrench, a stick, and a belt on the table and just say, choose. Well, I got to go with the belt there, Vanna. I used to go with the wrench. Why the wrench? Because
1: fuck him. That's why.
0: Hey, Will, I don't know, lot. About... You see this? this shit. Thank you.
1: Hello and welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and as always, I hope you're having a special day. Sounds a little bit, you know, extra to say it that way, but I do. Um, I'm having a pretty good day. We've, we've had an interesting week here, uh, spent two days without electricity, which was very rustic. And um, certainly makes you appreciate living in a you know developed Western society where uh, we can take these things for granted unless we don't connect our power before we move properly. Um, in which case you can't take things for granted because your power will get cut off. So uh, learned that the hard way and uh, we're moving on from it. But yes, we have moved. So if you notice a difference in the acoustics, of my dulcet tones. Uh, the reason will be because I'm in a different place now. Uh, so it'll have different echoes and all sorts of things. Uh, you might hear the fridge. I'm pretty close to the fridge, uh, but it's a bigger space. So you might uh, hear less echo as well, if we're lucky. Um, either way, it's, the, uh, it's what you say, not how you say it, right? Uh, that's definitely not true in podcasting. Got to sound good. Uh, so anyway, we're doing the best we can. Uh, I do have a little cupboard I can record in. I might sound treat it and move in there and record in the dark, Um, but uh, be prepared for the podcast to take maybe a slightly more macabre turn if I do that, because it might just make me feel a little bit like Miranda in The Collector. And that's a literary reference. You can take that to the bank. Had to reach all the way back to university days for that. So today's topic was inspired by a listener. Um, I didn't have a vote this week or anything, but um, I had uh, some very interesting interactions with a listener out there. And yes, there is a listener. And as far as I can tell, she's a real genuine person, uh, which is just amazing. So I just want to take a moment to thank Jessica for her thoughtful, vulnerable, and frankly, beautiful Facebook messages that she left me during the week. It's honestly difficult to express... uh, Without sounding corny, um, how gratifying it is to find someone who connects with the material in a, a similar way to how I do. I suppose um, it's the reason I'm here, and I'm just very happy uh, for the feedback. So thank you very much for that. I'm going to keep most of the messages private, but I did want to play a little bit just to prove that Jessica is real and not like my imaginary friend or something like that.
0: And here I fell in love with this little podcast. I'm sorry, that little big giant enormous podcast and I'm just like telling my boyfriend and this and this and this and he's just like wow wow, that's cool yeah okay and uh you know, I, I'm kind of an extrovert, as you can tell. I don't really have a problem voicing my opinion. But when I do, I always seem to apologize for it. So I just use. Anyways, I just wanted to say thanks. I think that you have a novel idea, and I love it. I used to work for Coast 103.5. So, hey, if you ever need any help, I mean, I feel okay. You get it. My name is Jessica. And I'm sure you
1: see that too. Now we're going to loop back around to Jessica later because uh, the interactions that we had on Facebook were what inspired this episode, which is the stories our family tells us. And so I have a theory about this, you know, something that I've been thinking about. I don't think it's even a theory. I think it's actually just kind of accepted scientific fact, or or whatever, or at least something that people understand intuitively. But the idea that The traumas we suffer impact us in inverse proportion to the age at which those traumas occur. As in, the younger we are when we suffer trauma, the more it influences and forms our personalities and dysfunctions. And the problem is, and I think this is something that Stefan Molyneux captures very well, despite the fact that uh, I have trouble listening to him for other reasons, the thing he does get right is that this childhood trauma thing is cyclical, as in, you know, abused children are more likely to abuse their children. And, you know, if we keep this cycle going, and heaven forbid, if we keep this cycle magnifying, then our society is just going to get worse and worse. So what are the effects of childhood trauma?
2: In the mid-90s, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente discovered an exposure that dramatically increased the risk for seven out of 10 of the leading causes of death in the United States. In high doses, it affects brain development, the immune system, hormonal systems, and even the way our DNA is read and transcribed. Folks who are exposed in very high doses have triple the lifetime risk of heart disease and lung cancer, and a 20-year difference in life expectancy. And yet doctors today are not trained in routine screening or treatment. Now, the exposure I'm talking about is not a pesticide or a packaging chemical. It's childhood trauma.
1: I don't know if you heard that, but let me just repeat it again because it's a pretty amazing statistic, one aspect of it in particular. If you experience childhood trauma, it can shorten your lifespan by 20 years. Just think about that. 20 years. There was probably a time in history when our entire lifespan was 20 years, which meant childhood trauma would immediately kill you. Don't do the math on that because I'm just realizing now it doesn't make any sense. So let's just move along, shall we? So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that family is a wonderful, amazing thing in anybody's life. But they're also one of the biggest risks we have in our lives. You don't get to choose them. You don't get to change them. And they have unique access to affect you at the very age that you're most vulnerable. So the stories your family tells you are some of the most significant stories you'll be told in your entire life. And it really does make you wonder that given the childhood trauma is so significant, why do we so often seem to make inescapable events, uh, like such as birth, as traumatic as possible? I just don't get it. We seem to make it more and more traumatic with, uh, with drugs and stress and whatever. I mean, I don't want to get all conspiratorial on you, but I have a feeling those you know calm water birth people are kind of onto something. And circumcision... I mean, what the actual f-? uh But I promised myself not to go into all of that because quite honestly, we don't need to get into conspiracy to understand the importance of trauma on childhood development. I would say it's the single most important formative factor in our cognitive development. And that's just me. That's not science. But don't you feel like every psychological dysfunction and, yes, even societal problem that you investigate always seems to trace back to childhood trauma. Trust issues, social awkwardness, anxiety, depression, narcissism, sexual depravity, and even sociopathy, they just all seem to be created in childhood trauma. It's, it's almost as if this is the root problem of our entire society. But my question is, not so much can major trauma trigger issues later in life, but what about minor traumas? What about the little things that happen to you when you're young that may not seem so significant in adulthood? Can they still affect your psyche in a similar way to the major traumas? Are the little things chipping away at your personality and we're not even looking at it? We're not even thinking about it? And again, I go back to this principle of the younger you are, the more it affects you. So getting beaten when you're 20 years old, yes, it will cause trauma, but maybe getting just something as simple as ignored when you're a baby could cause a, a lot more emotional damage than the beating later in life when you're less equipped to handle it. Are the effects magnified? And I guess the reason I think about this is because I was raised non-violently. Uh, my parents never spanked me, and they yeah, they got mad at me occasionally, but uh, you know they were generally uh, pretty passive and peaceful parents. But I do know that uh, you know I still do exhibit signs of childhood trauma. You know I have some of the tells, and I know I do, and I've worked on it in the past. I tended to be less empathetic and and slightly detached, and not as emotional, emotionally stunted perhaps when I was a little bit younger. And I really did have to deliberately work on it to get those qualities back. I'm still working on it now. I, I still am a little, I don't know, robotic. Um, a little too analytical about things, and uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I managed to not cry in A Star Is Born, so you know, what kind of monster am I? So I just can't account for these signs of of damage because there wasn't any in my childhood, really. I, I sort of have this amnesiac effect as well. Uh, I can't remember the house that we used to live in, uh, that I was you know raised in till till I was seven years old, and of course, amnesia is another symptom of of childhood trauma as well. So what traumas did I have? I, I, I just, I don't know. I was spanked by the neighbors once, you know, the neighbors took me aside and spanked me. Didn't make my parents particularly happy. If you can imagine that, um, I fell out of a tree. I think it hit my head when I fell. I was pretty high up. I used to climb trees. Can you imagine that? If you saw, saw me now, um, you'd really pity the tree. Um, I remember playing with uh, a friend of mine and he threw a brick and it cut my head open. uh, And it bled quite a lot. That was shocking. I remember feeling a bit of trauma. I was bullied pretty badly in school, but not when I was young. That was later on. And I think I handled it okay. Other than that, the worst thing that ever happened to me was you know, trying to join the conversation at dinner with my family and feeling like no one ever listened to me. which uh, interestingly might be why I enjoy this podcast so much because my mic my good old mic here never fucking cuts me off but so the question i need to ask is is it possible that these smaller traumas these these more subtle things are significant shapers of personality too because you know i grew up with a lot of anxiety i was socially awkward i had all of those things and that brings us full circle back to jessica And her second message, which was so insightful, it it kind of shocked me.
0: I am so disgusted when I look at your Facebook page and I see 14 people like it, because I don't just think, wow, 14 people only. I think, where's your family and your friends? My son goes through the same thing with his YouTube channel. You know, he's got a... Whole family, and he's got like 500 friends on Facebook. He's got 20-something subscribers to his YouTube channel. It infuriates me. Where's the support in one another? It's disgusting. It it anchors me. Am I going? Am I? Am I getting crazy here? Do you feel the same way about that?
1: So, first of all, Jessica, no, I don't think you're crazy, and I actually do agree. Um, I've posted on Facebook before a few times about. you know supporting people who are trying to do something you know put some, put themselves out there or whatever i've never really applied it to myself though because i have a philosophy that if you are not interested in something that someone else is doing then why pretend that you are what what kind of support is that i mean i'd i'd rather be supported by people who actually enjoy the podcast so in a way artificial support is not that important However, I would support anybody in my family who is doing something like this. Um, But I think that's only because I've been doing stuff like this. So I understand what it's like from the other side. So it doesn't make me angry. It doesn't make me upset. But it does give me pause to think about what story are you telling your family if you don't support them in the things that they do? Considering that clicking the like button and then you know very quickly unfollowing, so you don't have to see any of the posts. Only takes about uh, you know five seconds out of your day. Maybe it is something that's worth doing from the perspective of uh, doesn't cost you much. Um, but as I say, I'm not worried about it. I'd I'd much rather reach people who are interested in these topics, and I am the first to admit. That these are relatively fringe topics, uh, a little bit out there for the average person, I guess. Uh, this is where I like to be. This is what I like to think about. But I don't expect everybody that I know and that I'm friends with, and that are in my family, to think about the same things. So certainly, I could, <laughs> I could name a lot of things that my family think about uh, that don't interest me. I mean, my my family are big sports nuts, and I've always rejected that. If the trade-off was that I had to pretend to like football uh, in return, then, um, yeah, no deal, grandma. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. But um, it does make me think, and there's something I'm a bit hesitant. I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing my parents, and if they do end up listening to this, I certainly don't want them to think they did a bad job raising me. And indeed, if they are listening to this, then they are supporting me. So it probably doesn't apply as much, does it? But all parents are uh, flawed, and they they raise their children under varying and and usually difficult circumstances. And it's impossible to get it right. There's no child that will grow up saying, "You know what, mum and dad, you raised me perfectly." But one thing that that keeps coming back to me when I think about this topic is uh, when I was young, not very young, uh, you know, maybe eighteen, I guess, um, maybe a bit older. I'm not sure. I wrote uh, two novels. And my mother read both of them, gave me feedback. Uh, She was very nice about them. Obviously, when you write your first novel, they're not going to be that good. Uh, But my dad never read them, or at least uh, he only read like some of the start before saying, you know, he wasn't that interested or whatever. And I knew that. He wasn't my target audience, so I I knew he wasn't going to like it as a reader. And I understand it takes a really long time to read a book, and especially when you know that it's not going to be very good because it's someone's first book, or second in this case. But at the same time, that's something I think, uh, if it were my kid, I would make an effort to do, uh, because it certainly takes longer to write one than it does to read one. And if someone in your family takes the time to do that to create that thing I'd at least want to give that person the impression that you at least understood the effort that it took and at least avoid telling the story that you you don't care. I wonder you know if why do I still remember it now if it didn't affect me right there was another time too when uh, when I got in the in the final ten I think it was of uh, of a writer's competition, just for a short story that I wrote, and the uh, the guy who was judging the competition, John Marsden, who's a, a famous Australian author, pulled me and my dad aside and said that uh, he thought that I had commercial potential and that dad should set up a company to support the uh, amazing amounts of money that I was going to make with my writing, um, and nothing ever came of that either. wonder what would happen if if he had done that. So Jessica, I do understand what you're saying, and I, I feel bad for, for your son and his YouTube channel. Um, I'll subscribe to it, just give me the address. Uh, yeah, he can, can check out my, actually you probably shouldn't check out Popcorn Lobotomy, it's a little bit adult, I don't know how old he is, uh, but if he's a youngster, yes, uh, I'm a bit of a potty mouth, as you may have noticed, but anyway, I'm not here to complain. Uh, certainly not here to talk about my family in particular. I, I do want to talk about the topic in general and it just so happens. I was watching, uh, some YouTube videos, uh, the last couple of days and I came across this series called the mind of Jake Paul. That's right. Jake Paul. We're talking about Jake Paul on this podcast. You know, I never thought I would, but when I watched this documentary series, it's an eight part series by a YouTuber called Shane. And it's, it's pretty damn fascinating. I've got to say, you know, I really highly recommend it. He starts with the premise of trying to prove or disprove that Jake Paul is a sociopath. So he goes through and part of the documentary is talking to a therapist friend of his uh, about what sociopathy is and what are the traits and whether YouTubers in general, and this would apply to podcasters as well, whether they're naturally, partially sociopathic or at least a little narcissistic. And I've talked about this before as well. I think I think they have to be. I think we have to be to do this in the first place. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think I'm responding in part to that thing that I said earlier, where I used to get spoken over at the dinner table and still get spoken over by most of my family. And maybe that this is my way of dealing with that more than it is pure narcissism. I certainly hope so. I'd hate to think I'm a narcissistic person. But I think everybody has an aspect of it. And I think you'd be pretty naive to think that you're the only person in the world who doesn't have a little bit of narcissism in you. But this documentary, this Jake Paul thing, it was really, really interesting because as soon as this YouTuber, Shane, got access to Jake Paul's house and started interviewing him and his current girlfriend and talking about the situation, I couldn't help but get drawn in and realize not only is everybody human deep down. And, and my God, it was so easy to demonize someone like Jake Paul and see him as some privileged YouTuber who just got lucky and made a million dollars and completely squandered it. But as soon as you start hearing his side of the story and seeing him as a human being, uh, it's really hard to hate him, I must admit. Um, but the interesting part of the documentary and the pertinent part for this podcast is it all pretty much came back to Jake Paul's father. Um, Jake Paul's father was, they didn't really uncover anything like uh, specific physical abuse or verbal abuse, Um, but it was pretty heavily implied that at least the latter was occurring.
2: Greg Paul, the dad of Jake and Logan Paul, has reportedly completely taken over Jake and Logan's businesses. People had an issue with being verbally abused, watching their coworkers be fired around them and not being kept in the loop. Apparently, Greg Paul doesn't know how to act. He calls people and and derogatory terms at work. If that's true, then that definitely counts as verbal abuse.
1: At best, he's a domineering parent who would drive his kids to be competitive with each other, which is a pretty nasty thing to do, I think. Um, and I've got an article here in front of me talking about self-esteem in children and how to cultivate self-esteem. Um, and at the end of the article, it goes through things that can damage a child's self-esteem and, uh, there's, there's four things. I'll just go through them because I think Jake, Jake Paul's father did every single one of them pretty much. Um, but messages that say something negative about the child, obviously, if you're criticizing the child, their self-esteem is going to go down. They'll see their parents as an authority figure. Messages imply that life would be better without children. Now, that's one I, I see that around quite a lot, actually. And I've never really thought about it that before, because I think the parents, when they say it, they just mean it as a joke. The third one in the article is ignoring children or treating them like a nuisance and not taking an interest. Well, that's what I was talking about with my novel writing and so on. Negative comparisons with other children. And again, this goes back to the Jake Paul thing, where one of the most shocking parts was where the father said this. And Hey, do you like Jake too or just like I
0: I like Logan more. (laughs) Oh.
1: <laughs> hear that, Jake? there's just something really nasty about the delight in his voice when he's out on the street and he talks to that kid and the kid says he likes logan paul better than jake and he feels the need to rub it in jake's face you know he looks at camera and says you hear that jake maybe it's the echo effect that uh, that shane puts on the video i don't know but it, i don't know it just keeps coming back to me for some reason maybe there's something in that But the main reason I bring up this video, uh, aside from the fact that uh, Jake Paul's father is mentioned many times in the video as the cause of Jake's social disorders or whatever, is the section where Shane asked Jake to examine his own effect on children. There's some legitimate brainwashing going on. It's very predatory on these kids. You and I don't mean this as an
2: insult at all but I don't know if you know um, what's right or wrong with a lot of things and I think you are kind of emotionally and in other ways stunted as um, a kid And, and you show that in a lot of ways with like the crazy things you're doing and like just the house and the Legos and the wall, and like always wanting friends around and always wanting like attention and always like doing these crazy things and buying these crazy toys and like buying, you know, it's very much like, once again, I think you're very smart. I'm not saying you're stupid, but I don't think you are this evil genius who like knows how to manipulate kids. So I agree, I don't think you're purposely doing that, but I don't think you know why it is wrong. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think that's, again, just, like, people finding a reason to be like, fuck Jake Paul. To me, honestly. When I was a kid, my favourite story was The Yowie That Nobody Wanted. I don't know if anyone's heard of this book, if it's famous, or if it just made the rounds in Australia, or if it was just something that my sister and I found somehow on, on the bookshelves or whatever in the library. It was about a a creature, a yaoi, which is like a fictional creature, I guess. It was this big, goofy thing with big feet, and it would always knock its feet against the, the rocks and hurt itself. Um, this drifter, this, um, this swagman came along, and uh, I can't remember the story that well, but I remember loving it because the swagman gave the yowie these woolen shoes that he knitted himself overnight. And when the Yowie wore the shoes, his feet didn't hurt anymore. And I remember this part of the story where the Yowie wanted to go and say thank you to the swagman. And when he went there, the swagman was gone and he couldn't thank him for the shoes. I don't know why this touched me so much as a kid. I I don't really even understand it that much in retrospect, but it it still chokes me up for some reason. So oh. Uh, yeah. Something about shoes. Maybe I relate to sore feet. I don't know. It, it was one of my formative stories. I just wanted to mention that. I don't really know the significance of it. Maybe that's something that you guys can tell me. The point is families tell stories all the time. Uh, parents read bedtime stories to their kids, fairy tales and whatever. They let their kids consume stories through the TV screen. Teachers tell kids ghost stories around the fire while in school camp or repeat stories from the history books in in class. But most of all, adults tell children stories through their actions. And it is perhaps those that have the biggest impact, both positive and negative. Basically, your family's going to fuck you up one way or another to some degree. And then they'll send you out into the world with a loaded gun, the loaded gun of your personality. If the messages you receive in your formative years tell you that you're worthless or unimportant or even a bad person, then your body and all of its support systems seem to give you what you think you deserve or what you're telling it you deserve. Depression, poor health, and an early grave. 20 years, 20 years it can cost you. It's almost as if childhood trauma programs the body to self destruct because of its perceived lack of value. So, if you're a parent or have influence over a child for any reason, be mindful of the stories you tell them, both with your your words and your actions. Things are magnified for children. So, the stories you tell them now will be the stories that they tell their children and the people they encounter later in life. It's a cycle. Someone needs to break it at some point. You can tell your kids it's a cutthroat world and they need to harden the fuck up to survive. Or you can tell them the world is full of beauty and wonder and that human beings are kind and generous. The choice is yours, but either way, it'll probably be a self-fulfilling prophecy because the stories we tell are the stories we create the world with, and that's the true nature of any story.